This, this evening, uh, what I chose to speak on are the attributes of God. And most importantly, my, my question really is, what do you think of when you think of God? So, um, before uh, I begin, really, let me say that all these questions that I will actually put to you, which you don't have to answer unless you just really feel the need to, when I put these questions to you, you got to understand that I have already asked these questions of myself. I continue to ask questions of myself. And um, I will tell you, knowing who God is and having a right, view him, uh, a right view of him is very important. So when we talk about attributes, what are we talking about? So we're talking about God's character. We're talking about who he is. So... I've got a, now, now, we may have technical difficulty as well, so we'll, we'll work on that. So, uh, when we're talking about God's cure, our great God, the creator of the universe, he has chosen to reveal uh, a measure of himself to us, and he's done it through his word. Uh, certainly, all of creation testifies of him, as we see in Psalm 19.1 and Romans 1.20, but he himself has revealed, is revealed especially through his word. We can never fully understand the depths and the character of God, uh, who he is, and we will spend eternity learning about him. And even then, that simply will not be enough time to explore the depths of who God is. And uh, so tonight, um, I I simply uh, desire that we would uh, have a right understanding of who God is. And so it, it brings me to our first question, if... There we go. What do you think when you think about God? So take, take a moment and think about this. When I ask that question, when I, when I ask you, what do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about? Because it's, it's important. And I would argue that it's probably the most important thing uh, in your life. Your view of God affects everything. Who you believe God to be and what you believe God is like is of paramount importance. So Steve Larson said it this way. He said, high views of God lead to high and holy living. Low views of God lead to low and base living. So a right view of God, it equals a high view and will lead us to exalted and transcendent worship. It leads us to a life that's centered around Christ and around uh, God's word. A wrong view, a low view, will lead us to low living with no concern for the things of God. It'll, it'll lead us to base living. It'll lead us to base worship. So I, I like how A.W. Tozer put it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you ponder that uh, in the back of your mind as we, as we continue to move forward in, in the lesson. So, so just keep that in your mind. Th- honestly, think about in the back of your mind what you think about when you think about God, what comes to your mind. And then we're going to be delving into what Scripture says about who God is and about his character. And my, uh, my hope is, is that uh, we, we learn what God has for us to learn about him. Even though he's given us uh, a revelation to him which is obviously not complete, we could never know him completely uh, I am very thankful that he reveals his, his uh, self through his word. So what are God's attributes? Okay, so there's, there's argument uh, uh, with theologians. Some say 15, some say 17, some say more, some say less. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to really, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a, a quick scan of, of some of the, the attributes. Uh, you know, there's kind of two categories. There's incommunicable, incommunicable. 
you know, uh, and there's also an argument about which one of those, uh, are, you know, which attributes actually fall into that group. I'm not really going to talk about a bunch of that either. Uh, we'll touch on it slightly. Uh, but as you keep this question in the back of your head, uh, and we do this quick scan, um, I, I hope that God will reveal to us what we need to, to see and hear about him. So, he is eternal, and he is holy, and he is immutable, unchangeable. He's self-sufficient. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's wise. He's faithful. He's good. He's just. He's merciful. He is gracious. He is love. He is glorious. He is wrathful. He is beautiful. And even more. This is the first attribute I'd like to talk about. So there's simply no way to dig <laughs> as deeply as we could regarding God's attributes. So just talking about one attribute, as a matter of fact, if we just talked about this one, it could take up a, 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 quite a few services. Uh, however, I do hope to share with you what Scripture says about God, uh, His character, who He is, and by his spirit, I pray that our view is corrected as necessary so that our view uh, will be a high and exalted view of God and our Savior. A view that will lead us to high and exalted and, and transcendent worship. So, God is holy. There is none like God. Holy in Hebrew is kodesh. In Greek it is hosios, meaning distinctly separate. So when we think of holy, we think of pure, we think of, of, of a bunch of different things, but holiness is a declaration of God's otherness, how he is completely separate. There is none like him. And by the way, all of his attributes are holy attributes. They're perfect. And it speaks of his perfection. So we see, uh, we see the scripture proclaim uh, this in Exodus uh, 15, 11. Uh, and holiness speaks of God's absolute moral perfection, which apply to all of his attributes. He has perfect love. He has perfect knowledge. He is perfect in his power. He is perfect in his wisdom. That applies to all of his attributes. He's perfect in all his ways. So in Exodus 15, 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, Fearful in praises, doing wonders. Psalms 11.9 tells us he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Oh, I love that. So God's name is awesome. God's name is holy. So John MacArthur puts it so well. Um, his self-existence. His being is utterly separate from ours. God is utterly distinct from us. He is other than we are as to the nature, as to the essence of his existence, his nature. Therefore, nothing in creation, no one in creation, even man created in the image of God, compares to God in essential nature. He is incomparable. He is infinite perfection. That is why his name is separate, distinct, or holy. Now, I, I, I love that quote, and I think that it's awesome. But Scripture displays this better than any of us could talk about it. So here, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, is a beautiful demonstration of God's holiness. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah said, 
Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I don't know about you, but that is just beautiful. And it also shows us what happens when sinful man is face to face with a perfect and a holy God. Uh, uh, God is holy. And when Isaiah realized that, he knew that he was undone. He, he, he pronounced a curse on himself. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. You know, he, cleans, he cleanses him, and, and, and uh, Isaiah is ready for his ministry. But, but God is holy. All of his attributes are holy and perfect. God is eternal. So God is eternal. This is an example of one of his incommunicable attributes. Some could argue. Now, we, we will have a piece of eternity, right? You know, if we belong to him, we will live forever with him. But not the same way that he is eternal. You know, uh, God has no beginning, and he has no end. He was not formed or made. He is the uncaused one. He has been from eternity past, and he'll be to eternity future. He is not restricted by time or space, for he created them. His holy and perfect word, word, word tells us in Psalm 90, uh, uh, 90, chapter 90, verse 2. Don't worry, I'm from Texas. I will get it out eventually. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, you may have realized that we actually... Uh, saying that a little earlier. Uh, and when I think about this, this is, is amazing to me because, you know, God was before all things and he created all things. Uh, he, he existed before creation. He will exist long after creation uh, of the new heaven and the new earth. As we see in, in Colossians 1.17, more evidence of his eternity eternality and he speaking of Jesus is before all things and in him all things consist we see in Isaiah 41 4 who has performed and done it calling the generations from the beginning I the Lord am the first and the last I am he of course, we see this same name applied to Christ. We see it applied uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 11. We see it in chapter 21, 6 of Revelation, 22, 13 of Revelation. God is eternal. God is holy. God is eternal. God, uh, God is immutable and never changing. So we, we've, we've already seen in Scripture that God is holy, that He's perfect in all His ways, uh, we see in Scripture that God is eternal, and we see in Scripture uh, that he also tells us he never changes. Ponder what we've learned about him being holy and him being perfect and him being eternal, and give us some thought as to why he might be immutable and never changing. Well, the answer, quite simply, is because he's perfect. Why change when you're perfect? We... Let that sink in. Our God is perfect in every way. There's no need for change. And I, I have great comfort knowing that I don't have to wake up to a God every other day who has changed his mind. Amen? So, I, I, want, um, I want to show uh, one of the definitions uh, that Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology gives for uh, the unchanging uh, immutability of God. So God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises, yet God does act and feel emotion, and he acts and he feels differently in response to different situations. So this uh, does not mean that God never changes his mind, depend, you know, depending on the circumstances. And I'll, just a couple of quick examples, we won't go to them, but for instance, Nineveh, you know, Jonah reluctantly, you know, was going to Nineveh, Nineveh was going to be destroyed, and uh, uh, they relented, much to Jonah's chagrin, and they were saved. God relented. He did not destroy them. That came later. So, 
And then Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you know, God tells him, you know, put your house in order. You, you know, you're, you're going to go uh, the way of your father. And, and he cried out and prayed to him, and God relented, and he gave him 15 more years. Now, let's be clear, he didn't do anything that's outside of his will. But God does change his mind based upon the circumstances. And all of us should be thankful of that, right? We have all received uh, uh, rescue from his wrath because we've repented and we have called upon his name. And he has changed his mind about us. Amen. Okay, so we see, we see in, uh, in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. Who doesn't know that one, right? This one's uh, one of my absolute favorites. Psalms 102.25.27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Are you getting a glimpse of how glorious God is? So there's many more examples, um, but we can clearly see in Scripture that it proclaims the immutability of God. He does not change. God is unchanging in his being, in his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. So think of the implications of that fact as it relates to your relationship with God. A God that never changes. A God that you can count on. A God that you can trust. You'll see that all these attributes tie in together. He's not, he's not part of these things. He's holy, holy. He is completely holy. He is completely perfect. He's completely love. He's all love. He's all wrath. He's all, he's all these things. He's not parts of these things. The, these are who God is. God is self-sufficient. Um, th- this is often referred to as his uh, aseity. And this is a Latin word, uh, ase meaning from himself. Existence originating from and having no source other than himself. All that God needs comes from himself. Now, boy, that's a hard one to get, Right? But it is what Scripture teaches us, and it is the God that we have. He is self-sufficient. For as the Father has life in himself, this is Jesus speaking, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. John 5, 26. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds. Of the mountains and the wild beast of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all in its fullness. This is Psalms 50, 10 through 12. So it's often taught, and you've probably heard this, that God, he needed us, and that's why he made us. He loved us so much that he just could not live without us. The problem is, is God has no needs Uh, A.W. Tozer says that need is a creature word. God does not have needs. He has all that he needs from within himself. God is and was perfectly content, content from eternity past. Within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had no lack of perfect fellowship. There was no loneliness. Within the Godhead, there was, is, and always will be perfect communion perfect unity, a perfect sharing of glory, perfect fellowship, and perfect love. God did not create us because we filled a void. He created us because he chose to, which is much better than needs. Want is better than need. God wanted us. He did not need us. He has chosen to love us. God exists by virtue of his very nature. This is affirmed all throughout Scripture. And you can see that in Revelation 4.11. You can see it in John chapter 1, verse 3, Romans 11.35-36, through 36, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 6, and Colossians 1.15-17. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read the last one. 
So he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Scripture clearly demonstrates that God is self-sufficient. So, I I think of of how, I'm going to just make a quick uh, um, demonstration of, of our, our example of God. So God is uh, God is just uh, well, He's amazing, right? And I think about how He He can pull all that He needs from Himself. He does not need another source. And I just wanted to point out that although He He sustains everything from Himself, He is self-sustaining. We are not. We are, we are literally sustained from God. Our sufficiency is upon Him. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have to even do anything for, to, to end our life. He just quits sustaining us. So think about that. You know, God's, God is self-sustaining and sustaining of all things. All things that you see and that you don't see. So God is omnipotent. Omni is Latin, it means all. So we'll, we're in the omnis now, so you'll know uh, all of these are all. But God is all-powerful. Omnipotence is, is, his, uh, is his all, he is almighty. God is all-powerful, or he is infinitely powerful. He has all power. Nothing is impossible, not even difficult to God. I was thinking today, there were a lot of difficult stuff for me today. There's nothing ever difficult for God. So in, in, uh, in Scripture, they call him El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And again, I, I uh, wanted to uh, show you how A.W. Tozer puts, uh, puts it this way on, on God's omnipotence. Since he has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as he can do nothing or anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. God is omnipotent. So this, uh, of course, like, like we're going through all this, is confirmed in Scripture. And we see, uh, we see in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm, there is nothing too hard for you. We see in Isaiah 40, verse 22, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? Scripture is replete with examples of God's awesome power. You'll see it in Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.3, you'll see it in Isaiah 44.24. Isaiah 46.9-10. Romans 1.20. Colossians 1.17 and Ephesians 1.19. Literally, there are just uh, so many scriptures that speak of God's power and his holiness, and his eternality, and his self-sufficiency, and his immutability that we simply just couldn't go through all of them. And there's so many more that, that we could put up. 
But we see that we, we serve a God who, it, he never gets tired. He never, he never has to go get refilled or he doesn't have to go on vacation. And, and we do this. At light. So, so when, uh, when at creation, when he made the Sabbath, it wasn't because he was tired. He was creating a day of rest for us, for his creation. God, I, when I think about this, and some of you uh, younger will understand this, when you, if you played video games, you could always uh, hack it in a way that they called it God mode. And you couldn't, you couldn't die. You, you always had full power no matter what happened. Well, that's how God is for real. He, he is full power, all-powerful, infinitely powerful all the time. We serve a great and an awesome God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He has all knowledge. Omni again means all. So what does this attribute say about God? Well, it says God has all knowledge. That wasn't a really hard one, so. There's nothing God does not know. I love to think about this one. So there's nothing that God does not know. God knows everything that has ever happened. He knows everything uh, that's happened this very second. He knows everything that will happen in the future. And by the way, not just here, not just for you, but for all people everywhere at all times. So think about this. He knows (laughs) every possibility that could ever happen. And I'll give you a couple examples uh, of this in Scripture. So in, uh, in Exodus 13, 17, God had uh, just delivered them from Egypt. And he was on his way to the promised land. And in his uh, uh, great wisdom and, and infinite knowledge, uh, he said, then it came to pass. When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of, of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. So, God knew that if he goes this way, that they're going to run into a hard time and that they didn't have the faith to withstand that. So God, in his infinite wisdom... So think about this next time that you don't get to go the way that you want to go, but you are asking God to lead you. So he, he brings them the other way. And of course, they had other issues, but it wasn't because of that. But that, I think that is so beautiful to know that God knows all things. That's why we pray to him. That's why we ask him to guide us and to help us and to give us wisdom. He says that if you lack wisdom, to ask for it, and he gives it liberally and without reproach. I do that all the time because I lack wisdom, and it's not because I'm from Texas. So, so I, I, uh, I love uh, the fact that God knows all things. So as I'm doing this, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you're really thinking about these attributes that God has and, what, and the implications of what it means for your personal relationship with him. You know, I, I hope that it's giving you a right and accurate view of how awesome and holy and perfect he is and why he's worthy of our praise and our worship, why he's worthy of our time, why we would spend time in his word every day seeking his face, seeking to know him more. So another example, which I, I, I love. I, I, so in 1 Samuel 23, 1 through, 13, 1 through 13, so David has been running from Saul quite a bit dur- during this portion of Scripture. Uh, Saul's been after him. Saul just would love to get him. And so Kyla was a walled uh, city uh, that was being attacked by the Philistines. And so David and about 600, 600 of his men, they go to Kyla and they go in because they help against the Philistines. But then they're in the walled city. Well, Saul hears about it. And so he mounts up. Well, just so happens that David hears that he's going to be coming, so uh, David inquires of the Lord. And I'm going to start in, in uh, verse 9. So when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. 
Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul uh, that David had escaped from Kilah, so he halted the expedition. So what we see here, which I think is, is amazing, it demonstrates the fact that not only God knows what happens, what's going to happen, he knows all possibilities. So God just tells him these things that are going to happen, but they never happen because they make different decisions. Think about that as well. So I've, I've always, uh, I've always, this has always popped in my mind when I deal with somebody who, who says we don't have free will. Because <laughs> somewhere we've got to have some free will. So, I, you know, God is absolutely so- sovereign and he saves us and I believe his word because it says that. But in some way we're responsible uh, those don't always come together, but that's what the word teaches, and uh, that's a hard concept, but it is true. God saves us, yet we are saved when we call upon his name. Amen? So God is not learning anything, right? Because he knows everything. He's always known everything. There's been no time that he has not known everything. Think about that. I mean, we try, we, I mean, I, I was trying to learn stuff today. So God has perfect knowledge of all things. He cannot learn anything because he has complete and infinite knowledge of all things past, present, and future. He just knows everything. So God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And we see this demonstrated in Scripture. In Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. In Psalms 139, 7 through 10, we see, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Mm. I've just always loved that portion of scripture to know that God is everywhere I think I think to a believer to somebody who belongs to him that is a comforting thing to know that God is wherever you are all the time he's able to rescue he's able to deliver he's able to correct you it's terrifying if you don't know him if you don't belong to Jesus It's a terrifying fact to know that he is everywhere and he sees all things. And because he is a just God, he does have to delve out punishment. So God is simply everywhere at all times. He's infinitely present in all places at all times. Consider what this means for us who belong to him. I spoke about that a little bit. He is ever present to help. If you don't belong to him... Remember that he's ever present to see evil and to delve out justice. There are no hidden sins. There are no secret sins with God. It is all laid bare before him. The writer of Hebrew gives it to us this way. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees all things So, as we think about this attribute,
Let's think about what it would mean to practice presence, what it would mean if we actually acted like we believe that God was, was everywhere at all times, that he was right here with us at all times. And he would see all that we do. He is, faith, he is a faithful shepherd, and he's able to rescue, and he sees uh, when we need help, and he provides correction when we need help because he loves us. Honor and glory and praise to our ever-present Savior. God is just. I, uh, I love this uh, attribute as well. They're all fabulous. Uh, I just saw f- from one of the things hanging up uh, a quote from, from uh, 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 Pink, I think is his last name. But he, he talked about how when he thinks that, that about how God... Uh, knows all things and 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 uh, you know his he is irresistible it's terrifying to him but when he realizes that God is just and only does good then it gives him great comfort and that's how I feel I, I don't know I don't know how you think about this but because God is just because he's good it, it gives me great comfort I know that he does right I know that he is always righteous he's always good God is perfectly righteous in regards to the treatment of his creatures. So in Scripture, we see, like in Acts 10.34, God shows no partiality. In Hebrews 6.10, God is just in delving out rewards. In Romans 12.19, he's just in his vengeance. In Colossians 3.25, he's just in his punishments. In Psalms 89.14, God's justice and righteousness work hand in hand. They are the foundation of his throne. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So how comforting it is to know that our God is just and that he's impartial. All of his judgments are perfectly right and perfectly good. This fact of God's character has always made it easy for me to, uh, to do as Proverbs 3, 5-6 uh, commands us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Because He is perfectly just always. So we can't talk about God's just, his, his love for good and his love for righteousness and what is good without talking about wrath because God is a God of wrath. So this is often an, <laughs> an uncomfortable attribute uh, for people to consider. And many in the world, and I have to say sadly in many of the churches uh, here in America, they eagerly accept that God is love, but they reject that he's also a God of wrath. We just saw in Scripture that God is just, and he's righteous, and he is perfectly good. He loves what is right, and he hates what is evil. It simply can be no other way. (laughs) A God who loves justice and righteousness He must hate injustice and unrighteousness. We do have a just God. We have a God who is a God of love. But God hates injustice and he hates hates unrighteousness. And people store up wrath because of that. For the wrath of God is revealed from the heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We see that in Romans 1.18. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. We see that in Revelation 19.15. As we 
As we see in Revelation, I mean, there, God is pouring out his unbridled wrath in there. At that time, there's people who have re- completely rejected him, and time is out. Um, it, it, is, uh, it would be a, a terrifying story if you did not belong to the Lord. So, God certainly is a God of love, but who he is, a perfectly just and righteous being must repay sin, injustice, unrighteousness with his holy and perfect wrath. So, I take this moment to speak to uh, anybody that's listening that may not belong to him, who is in danger of receiving God's wrath. And I would beg you and I would implore you to throw yourself upon him, to call upon his name, and to yield your life to the great God who loves you and has called out to you. Yield to him. Call upon his name and be saved. If, um, you, if you want to know more about how you can know the Lord more and how you can walk with him, you know, just talk to, talk to somebody here. Talk to Kevin talk to Pastor Jim, talk to me, there's anybody on staff, and there's many people in the congregation, just talk to somebody, uh, because there's nothing more important than your relationship with God. So I'll, so we talked about many attributes, not all of them, of course, but many. We see that God is eternal, We see that he is holy, he is immutable, he is never changing, he's self-sufficient, he is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's just, he's wrathful. There's There's many, many more. We've just touched on these. The knowledge of who God is and his character should compel us to give him exalted and transcendent worship. I can't tell you how many times when I was younger, I would stand in line to maybe go do an event, and I would stand there for hours. And I can tell you that when I was younger, uh, making it to church and spending time with the body and getting into God's Word was, was not a priority. But I would spend an hour, uh, or hour two or three in line waiting for something that I thought I wanted to go do. And I would dare say that many of you have done that in your life as well. But I want to put this into perspective as we've gone through all these attributes and we've talked about how God is and who God is, about how he is holy and he is, and he is perfect and he is separate from us in, in, in his otherness. You know, God is holy and perfect and he's just and he's perfect in love and, he, you know, he's perfect. He's, he's perfect in his glory. He's perfect in his beauty. He's perfect in his wisdom. You know, we've heard all our life that he is worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our worship. And I wonder how many times we really just stopped and thought about that. How many times did we stop and say, well, he is worthy of our praise and our worship because he is perfect. You know, people who don't get it, they think, well, man, God is pretty arrogant. He's like demanding you worship him and all this stuff. Yes, because it is right, because he is perfect. He deserves your honor. He deserves your praise. Nothing else does. I'll give an example, and I think we can all relate to this. Who has not watched a concert of way back when, when there was Elvis, and it was full uh, of uh, young women, and they were passing out, and they, were just, they, they, they just were crying, and they were screaming, and, and they were just... Uh, just crying out to Elvis, a guy that did not know them (laughs) and did not care about them and would never do anything for them. He, he, he could care less to be quite honest. I mean, Elvis, you know, and, and most performers are up there for their own glory, but they were worshiping Elvis and they worshiped Michael Jackson and they worshiped Garth Brooks. They worshiped them. People who are as broken and as flawed as you are, as flawed as I am. We spend our time 
and we spend our efforts on things that have no value uh, when we do not seek God's face, when we do not have a right view of him, when, when we, our view of him is not high and exalted, then we tend to fill our lives with things that are not centered around him. Because I can tell you right now, there's, there's um, you know, I, 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 Jim does this so well, I'm going to try to do it. I want to be gracious, and I, I want to say this the right way, and not in a conde- condemning way, because I'm in the same boat everybody else is. But there is no middle ground. You are either with the Lord or you are not with the Lord. And I would, I would beg you, considering you know, just, just these attributes, that God is worth, he's worth your praise and he's worth your time. He's worth whatever time you want to put to sit down and get in his word and know him. And I pray for myself and I pray for our congregation for our body, that our desire for him would increase and that our love for him would increase and that we would be in his word each and every day, that we would be faithful that because nothing changes us on the inside but God. All the invisible things, all the things that we have no control over, God changes those things. They're... they're, when we were lost, I know we all can do this. I can think back to when I was further away from God than I am now. And I can, I can clearly look back. I can clearly see where I am now. And I can see what God has done in my life. I can, I can see what he has wrought in my life. What he, what he has done for us is amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, I think back to when Jesus uh, was talking to the disciples and he told them that it was easier uh, for, the, for a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than a rich, rich man to make it in heaven. And they were astounded by that. And they said, well, who, who, can, who can be saved? And he, and he said, well, it's, you know, it's impossible. Because it is. Salvation is not difficult. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot earn it. There's, not nothing, there's nothing you can do for it. You can't, you can't work hard for it. You can't uh, use the right handshake with God. There's nothing that you can do to get it. God gives it as a gift. You only get it by grace. And when he said, yes, it is impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. And he knew that because he was God, and he knew what he was going to be doing. He knew that he would be making a sacrifice, and that he would be paying our debts, and he would be making a way for our slate to be wiped clean. I think that our God is amazing, and I think that he deserves our time. He certainly deserves uh, as, as excellent worship as we can give him. He calls, for a, he calls for us in the scripture over and over to sing to him, to sing a new song to him, to play excellently before him. I pray that we do that. I pray that I do that. I pray that you do that. I pray that God meets you each and every day in a way that, he's, uh, that you've just never experienced before. But I will tell you that that won't happen unless you get in his word. There's, you can't sleep. You can't talk Christianese. You can't, you can't do the lingo and use the one-liners. You have to know him, and you will not know him unless you get in his word. There are no shortcut. Let me tell you this. If you have a problem, are you reading his word? If your marriage is struggling, if you are having a hard time at work, if you're having a hard time with your children, uh, we can all raise our hand to that from time to time. If, if, if you're having those things and you have not cracked open his word and you have not, you have not sought his face, then you're not very serious about uh, God setting things right. Because God wants to help you and he wants to deliver you. He wants to do those things, but he's given us it. He's given us his word. He's revealed us in his, uh, he's revealed himself in his word. Hallelujah for that. Amen that he has done that. So I would just implore you. I would say again, what do you think of when you think of God? Has it changed from what you were thinking when you first got in here? Well, I hope that it has become a higher view I I pray that it's become a more exalted view 
of who he is, a more right and correct view of who our God is. Uh, I will say one thing uh, that just drives me crazy. Uh, if anybody's ever seen the Jesus is my homie shirt. Jesus is not your homie. Jesus is God, and he's your God. He's your Savior, and he deserves honor and respect and worship. So I'll close with that. I, I, I do hope that you will think about the attrib- attributes of God, and I do pray um, that through his word, I, th- I pray that by his spirit, we will get in his word every day as a body. I pray this for myself first. I'm not saying anything to you that I don't say to myself first. I need God. I, I am incapable of doing what he asked me to do without him. I'm incapable to do the things that he's commanded me to do unless I allow him to do that through me. Christ through me, not me. So I'm going to pray a quick prayer. And Kevin's going to come up and finish my prayer for me as we, uh, as we get ready to end in worship. Uh, I do pray that God's word has pierced. I do pray that you have uh, learned something about God that perhaps you did not know. There are many verses. I put them up because I wanted you to be able to go back and look at them more closely. I just pray for you. I pray that God blesses you. And I, I pray that he draws you near. And I pray that as he draws us near to himself and that our love increases for him, that our love increases for one another. And I pray that all the world, uh, especially here in this town, that, that don't know him, they'll see. When they see us, they'll know that we belong to him because we have love for one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your, your word, your law is perfect. As it says in 19.7, Lord. Psalms 19.7, Lord, you are holy. Father, you are righteous and you are good. Father, draw us near to yourself, Lord. Help us to have a right view of you. Father, help us. Father, help us because we cannot help ourselves, Lord. Let's all stand and we'll just continue praying and then the, the worship team will lead us.